This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. This morning's scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 17 through 27. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. This is God's word. Amen, you may be seated. I'm reading a book written by a general surgeon and he tells a story from a medical journal of thoracic surgery and it tells a story about the unimaginable. There were a family, two parents and a three-year-old little girl in the Swiss Alps and they were hiking and as the parents are enjoying the scenery, just for a second, they lose sight of the little girl and it wasn't long and then they look around and she's gone and they come over the next hill and they see a pond with icy water in it and thinking that's the only thing that could have happened, they jump in this icy pond. And they take turns going along the bottom, feeling for her. And after 30 minutes, they find her. And they brought her out of the water and they laid her on the bank. And they were able to get cell reception and they called and the people that they got on the phone, our version of 911, walked them through CPR until the emergency responders could get there. So they're doing CPR and the emergency responders come. And when they come, they take over and they assess her vital signs and she has no pulse. Her body temperature is 66 degrees. Her eyes are dilated and she's gone. She's dead. But as is their policy, they continue CPR as they take her to the nearest hospital, which was a, a research hospital. And they take her in, they reassess her again. Still, no blood pressure, no pulse, eyes dilated, dead. They then make an insertion in her groin area and insert a tube into her major vein. And they, they take out the cold blood and they run it through this machine the size of a table. And then they insert another tube into her femoral artery and they put oxygenated warming blood into her body. Two hours go by and all of a sudden 
her heart starts beating. Now her heart was the first organ to come back. So they then try to put, to intubate her, to to force air into her lungs so that she can breathe. But when they try to do that, her lungs are too filled with debris and water. And so they then hook her up to a machine that I can't remember the name of, but it's essentially an external lung machine. And it's breathing for her. So now her heart's beating, but her lungs need cleaned out. So overnight, they use this tiny tool, fiber optic, and they clean out what they can in her lungs. And the next day, they they try again. They try to intubate her. And this time, her lungs work. They're cleaned out enough for her lungs to work. So now her heart's beating on its own, and the machine is breathing for her. And one by one, over the next two weeks, slowly, other organs were coming back, except one. Two weeks later, her brain had still not come back. And so they do a scan, and they find that there's major swelling on the brain, but they're slightly optimistic because there are no what they call dead spots. So they wait a little longer, and they wait a little longer, and then one day, she simply wakes up. The journal article was written when she was five. It happened when she was three during those two years. There was intense occupational therapy, physical therapy. But the article stated that if you were to meet this five-year-old little girl today or when she was five, you would have no idea that that ever happened to her. She had made a full recovery. She was dead for hours. She was brain dead for weeks. And she just woke up. Now, as every single one of you was listening to that, I know that there was a deep hope, a deep longing in you. You were saying, please wake up. I want this to end well. Please wake up. I want a miracle to happen. Tell me that it's going to be okay. And the reason is, is because every single one of us knows that death is not natural. Death is not natural. Death must be destroyed. And every one of us was saying, don't stop. We didn't want the physicians to stop at any lengths to save this little girl. We know that if that was our child, we would say, do everything you can. We would stop at no length. And today, Easter is the celebration that God stopped at nothing in order to destroy death. He sent his son to die, to go to battle in the grave and to rise from the dead and death is destroyed. Now, no matter what culture we live in, there is a fear of death. There is a fear of death and there are different ways to avoid death. Sometimes we do just that. We avoid death and we live in a time where death can be avoided. But in this day and age, who do you think prepared the body? The family. There's no institution place. There's no place to send it. Death was part of it. If that little girl that I told the story about was to die in this day and age, the family would have prepared her body. Death was inescapable, but today we can avoid it. It's true, but even... Other ways we do it is we sentimentalize death, right? We sentimentalize it. We say things like, well, they're, they're alive still in my heart. Another way, another thing we do 
is we don't just avoid it or sentimentalize it, we naturalize it. I heard it said by a Christian recently, well-intended. You know, sometimes when I think about death, I just think it's, it's just a natural part of the life cycle. And if we look at it from a certain way, it's kind of a beautiful thing. No, no, it's not. Death is not natural. And we know it's not. Everyone knows it's not. That's why we try to avoid it. Everyone knows that death must be destroyed and that things are not gonna be okay until death is destroyed. Martin Luther said, sinners run backward toward an open grave, unable to face death, but inevitably moving straight at it, trying to put it out of sight and out of mind with any diversion. Insert whatever you want there. Netflix binges, alcohol, a little bit of sex, a little bit of sports, whatever it is. They're moving backwards towards an inevitable death, moving straight at it, trying to put it out of sight, out of mind, and yet shuffling in reverse until the inevitable meeting occurs. Then the sudden tumble down. In our passage today, we pick up in the middle of an incredible story. We can't talk about all of the story, but we pick up right in the middle of it. There was a, a man named Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, a great friend of Jesus who was sick. We don't know what from, but we know that he died. And in this passage, we see a conversation between Jesus and Martha. And we see in this passage today, the answer to two questions. We see more than that, but this is what we're gonna do today. First, what is resurrection? Right, it sounds silly, but what is it? And then second, how does the resurrection matter today? First, what is resurrection? Here Jesus comes and Martha hears of it and she comes out to him showing great faith. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You hear exasperation maybe in her voice, but then she goes on to continue this faith and she says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give you. In other words, you can still do this, Jesus. I've seen you do it. I know that if you want to do it, you can do it. Implied, will you do it? Will you raise him? And he tells her, your brother will rise again. Now in verse 24, we, we can't miss this. This is not only an orthodox statement by Martha, but there is so much power and hope in this. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now this affirmation from Martha of an end time resurrection is in line with the teachings of the Pharisees of her day. And the Pharisees uh, had the populace, all right? And so most of the Jews in the first century believed, just like Daniel 12 taught them, that there would be a resurrection, a physical resurrection on the last day. Jesus speaks many times in the Gospel of John that he, in fact, also believes this and teaches this. Maybe most famously in John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, Jesus, affirming Daniel, says, there will be a resurrection on the last day. Everyone will be raised, the righteous to life, those who do not believe to judgment. And so there will be a physical resurrection of both, of all, of everyone. Now, what's interesting is that just, as, just like there were some uh, questions about physical resurrection or no physical resurrection in this day and age, there were certain theological movements in the early 20th century 
that caused us to stress when we talk about the resurrection, the fact that Jesus was physically resurrected, right? So there, there is even teaching now that it doesn't matter if Jesus was physically resurrected. What really matters is that there's a spiritual rising, that there's inspiration given to his followers. But is that what resurrection is? That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that resurrection is physical life after physical death. You see, you die, and then at some point, you will be physically raised in a body that is incorruptible. So resurrection is not merely symbolic to inspire Jesus' followers. So we're not here today to celebrate a symbolic resurrection, the fact that we have meaning in our life because we believe something unique or we believe something special. Rather, we're here to celebrate resurrection and resurrection is physical life after physical death. So what this also does is it shows us the uniqueness of Christianity in this. Christianity affirms God's good creation. Physical creation. Now for most of us modern hearers, we like to keep our so-called spiritual truths and our physical truths separate, a little compartmentalized, but the resurrection will not let us do this. It, it, in fact, it brings them together. It will not let us separate them. There is, Jesus says, a way where someone can be physically alive and yet spiritually dead. And someone can be physically dead and yet spiritually alive. And what this points us to is the beautiful truth that spiritual redemption is not complete in your life. Sin is not ultimately destroyed in your life until you are physically resurrected. You see, the only reason death exists is because of sin. And so if Jesus comes to save you from your sin, which he does, you do not, I do not become complete until I am physically resurrected, till I am given a new body in a new earth, prepared, saved, redeemed by Jesus. You see, as Russell Moore says, Christians respect the body because we believe our material bodies are part of God's goal for us and the universe. You see, when God saved you, what he had in mind was saving all of you. You see, we were meant to be embodied. We were meant to be creatures. And God saves us and our redemption is full when we have physical bodies and are resurrected. And this is what Martha is saying when she says, I do, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That's what she's saying. That is resurrection. Physical life after physical death. Martha knows this and she wants this and she believes it happens. She's gonna happen, but what she's saying is, but I want him now. What does that matter now, Jesus? I know that's gonna happen, but what does it mean now? Can you bring my brother back now? And then Jesus says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus does it again. This is the completion today of our I Am series. If you've been with us, we've seen this. We've seen Jesus say, you want 
sustenance. I am the bread. Not I'll give you the bread or I'll point you to the bread, but I am the bread. We've seen Jesus say that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not just follow me, I'll show you the way or I'll give you the map, but I am the way. We've seen Jesus say, not just I I have the light and I'm gonna shine it, but I am the light that shines. And here he says, I don't merely have the power to cause resurrection, which I do. And he'll show her in a second. I'm not merely going to raise your brother, which he does. But he says, I am the resurrection. John in the first chapter tells us right away when he's introducing us to Jesus. And he says, Jesus is the source of life. Life does not exist outside of him. He is life. And the life was the light of men. I've heard this and I'm going to change it up a little bit and share it with you. Suppose you went to get a loan at a bank for a new house. And you walk in and you talk to the first loan officer and the loan officer looks at your uh, stuff and says, I'm sorry, I can't give you this loan. And you, because you're really committed to buying this house, say, well, can I see the vice president? And for some reason, they let you see the vice president and you see them and they look, they lay out your stuff and they try to help you understand, listen, you don't have everything in order. You can't get this loan. We're not gonna give you this loan. And because you're really bold, you say, let me speak with the president of the bank. And for some reason, the president sees you. And you walk in and you're about to tell the president why you think you should get this loan. And before you say anything, the president says to you, you get the loan. And you say, well, hold, hold on a second. Uh, I'm confused because I talked to the loan officer and they said I don't get the loan. That the bank won't give me the loan. He said, no, 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 I'm, t- I'm, t- I'm telling you, you get the loan. Well, the vice president said, I didn't have all of my stuff together to get the loan. And he says, a little frustrated now, I, I, don't, I don't know if you're listening to me. I don't care what they say. And you keep pressing them. And finally, he says, in joy and a little exasperation, listen, I am the bank. Okay, I'm the bank. If I say you get the loan, it doesn't matter what everyone else says. If everyone else says you get the loan, I say you don't get the loan, you don't get the loan. If everyone says you get the loan, all right, if everyone says you don't get the loan, I say you get the loan, you get the loan. You see, I have the power. I have the authority. And if you know me, if we're together, whatever I say happens. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what you're afraid of. It doesn't matter what everyone else says. If you're with me, you have resurrection, you have life. And then he says this to her. Do you believe this? Do you believe that if you're with me, that that you have resurrection and life. And then he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. I am resurrection. If you're with me, there's life. If you're with me, there's resurrection. Now, in in a little bit, we're not gonna get here. He does raise Lazarus from the dead. He does, he raises Lazarus. But still, If we were to answer this question, do you believe? I think it'll get us to my second question, which is how does the resurrection matter today? Or another way, what does the resurrection mean today? So to answer the question, do you believe? I mean, really believe you will answer the question. You will understand what the resurrection means now. Not just merely that we'll be erased from the dead and we will. 
and that is glorious, but it has implications for today. So to ask the question, what does resurrection mean today? Knowing that resurrection is physical life after physical death on the last day. What does that mean today? This is a meaning question. Now, there are people who don't believe in Christianity because they don't believe Jesus was physically raised from the dead. But in my experience, there are more people who believe that's probably true but are indifferent to it. They, in other words, they're not sure what the meaning of any true resurrection, how that would be relevant or significant to what really concerns them in their life today. Now, the Apostle Paul, we're gonna spend the rest of today with him. Right, Because the Apostle Paul in his ministry and in the letters that he wrote was helping the churches of this, the beginning of the church, helping all these churches understand the implications of the simple proclamation that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the Son of God, that he died and was raised for our justification. Read Acts. That is the message. Read 1 Corinthians 15 of what Paul says is of most importance, the center of gospel preaching was the resurrection of Jesus. In all of Paul's letters, he spends his ministry helping people understand the implications of the resurrection. You see, Paul knows that when a person believes in Christ, they're united to Christ. And if you're united to Christ, you're united so closely that whatever happens to him, whatever happened to him, happened to you. Those of you who are with us reading in community Bible reading, CBR, this last week we were in Romans. We saw this in Romans chapter six. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We'll come back to that. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. Two words that are really important, shall and certainly. Not maybe, hopefully, but shall, certainly. If you read legal documents, you understand the difference between should and shall. Shall is a command, shall must happen. And then he puts shall and certainly together. So in other words, if I were to walk up right now to the top of this building and take a baseball and drop it, it certainly would fall to the ground, would it not? Why, why? Well, there's this thing called gravity. And this reality that we live in on planet Earth, it's real, it exists. So if you drop a baseball, it certainly will fall to the ground. And Paul is saying, if you are in Christ, you've trusted in Christ, you've been baptized into him, you now live in a new reality. And in the same way that gravity exists in this reality, You have been raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. It is that certain. What is newness of life? You see, newness of life is not more life of something you already had, right? It's not like you've been raised with Christ to have more of the life that you have. No, it's new life. It's categorically different life. Right? This is how I became a Christian. My dorm room, 2006. Someone walks in my room. Sorry, 2003. Someone walks in my dorm room. And we're talking and they say, are you a Christian? And I say, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. 
And we're talking and then they, it's natural, but we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'd never read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And they're reading it and verse 17 happens. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have gone away, the new things have come. I stopped listening. He, I don't know how long he read, but whenever he stopped, I said, I'm not a Christian. He said, well, you just told me you're a Christian. I said, if that's what a Christian is, I'm not a Christian. That's never happened to me. Three weeks later, God saved me. This happened to me. You see, it wasn't just more of life. It was a new life. The resurrection of Jesus is the launching pad of new creation. You see, we tend to think of our, our time as central in history. The hinge of history, when history changed, the climax of redemptive history happens when Jesus raises from the dead. And when Jesus raises from the dead, he vindicates himself as Lord of all the earth. And what you and I experience is new creation. You see, we experience the resurrection today. If you want to follow Jesus, it's because the resurrection matters today. See, the very spirit that dwells in you is the very one that raised Jesus from the dead. One of the scholars that's helped me understand resurrection a lot is N.T. Wright, and he says this, the resurrection is the decisive start of the worldwide rule of the Jewish Messiah, where Jesus reigns as Lord, having won the victory over sin and death, and that victory has its frontline outpost in those who in baptism have shared his death and resurrection. And this intermediate stage between the resurrection of Jesus, which happened, and the renewal of the whole world is the renewal of human beings, you and me, in our own lives here and now. That is what's happening to you and me. So let's keep going with Paul. Paul says this in Colossians 3. Remember, his whole ministry was about how the resurrection affects you and me today. Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ. He just assumes you have been raised with Christ. Remember, the reality that you live in, whatever happened to Jesus, happened to you. You were baptized into his death. And through faith, you've been raised with him. Paul says this in Colossians. Just like that baseball, that reality existent, it's gonna fall. You have been raised with Christ. So seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. As beautiful as that is, I think some of you feel guilty. I think when I read that passage and I read things like, well, you just skip over the, over the uh, we all do this. You've been raised with Christ. This is what you hone in on. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And you automatically say to yourself, oh, I don't do that. I don't do that. And then all of a sudden, we're distracted from the beauty of what he already said. You've been raised with Christ. And we skip over that and we say, oh, I hope that God still loves me because I don't live as I ought all the time. And this is exactly what our flesh, this is exactly what the evil one would want. This is the evil one's last ditch effort to distract you from the life that is yours in Christ. 
The whispering in our ears of, no, 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 yeah, you say you've been raised with Christ. That's true, but not for you. Look at your life. Look at your life. Look at your thoughts. Look at the way you treat your children. Look at the way you yelled last night out of anger at your children. Your child is three years old. What is wrong with you? How dare you discipline out of anger? How dare you lash out at a coworker like that? How dare you fail to serve and love your spouse? What's wrong with you? Do you hear that? Do you ever hear that? I'm asking you, I'm begging you. Look at things above means look at what Christ has done for you. When you feel shame and guilt, look to Christ. We sang, he is seated. We have our, our lamb who's spotless, our righteousness, which is risen on our behalf, pleading our case for us. He has died for you. The apostle Paul made his entire life about a relationship with the resurrected and living Christ. He made his entire life about that. Not just teaching people to understand how it affects their life now, but he made his whole life about it. Philippians 3, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And here it is. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And you may be thinking, no, no, that's, but that's the resurrection later. No, it's not. Two verses later, he says some other things, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So he says that in verse 11. What he's talking about in verse 10 is a present experience in knowing Christ to experience the power of the resurrection now. You see, that is possible for all of us. If you know Jesus, you've experienced the resurrection. And you see, it's not merely, although it is, I don't want to minimize it. We, death has been defeated and we will rise to newness of life, physical life on the last day. But that resurrection has already begun in us. You were dead. You were dead, the Bible says, and now you're alive. What else is that? That's resurrection. You are new creation. What else is that? That's resurrection. Now it's already here, but it's not yet fully here. And so our hope is not only that we will be physically raised, but it's that God's work of newness of life is happening now in us. Newness of life means that you don't have to be defined by your past. You don't have to be defined by your past. You no longer have to figure out ways to prove that you're really enough. I mean, how often do you do that? How often are you constantly trying to prove to yourself and to others that you're enough, that you're okay, that you're worthy of respect? For so many of us, there's oppression in our lives trying to prove ourselves to others, to God. We constantly live in striving rather than resting. And union with Christ is resting. I'll close with this. This week I read an article in The Economist called, Why Do We Work So Hard? Written by an economist. 
hence the magazine. And he goes through this brilliant history of work in America, in the West, so Europe, America. It's a quite a long article. But then, he, but then he gets really existential. He's talking about the treadmill of life, the striving of life, the trying to earn respect, not just from others, but that you'll respect yourself. He says this, talking about why people work so much. There is this lure to tell yourself, it would be nice to get off the treadmill. It would be nice to get off the fast track. It would be nice to be financially independent, just move away, not have to make as much money and just be in life, spend more time with my kids, just rest, be healthier. And then he said this, I thought about doing that and I realized it wasn't the stress of being on the fast track that actually caused my chest to tighten and my heart to race but the thought of being left behind by those still on the treadmill, that's what made my chest tighten. That's what made my heart race. What if I get left behind? What if I miss out? What if I lose my opportunity to prove it to others? You see, in newness of life, that dissolves away. You see, we already have rest. We already have been promised life. We've been given newness of life. He goes on to say, our jobs have become prisons from which we don't want to escape. Think about that. What in your life has become a prison that you don't want to escape because you think it's gonna save you? You think it's gonna give you meaning. Jesus does go on to raise Lazarus. But this is only a microcosm of what he will do. It's been said by commentators, the reason he says Lazarus come out is because if he just said come out, every dead person would have risen from the dead. In him raising Lazarus, it's a microcosm of what he will do. This story transitions the book of John from the book of signs to the book of glory, pointing to when Jesus is glorified in his Resurrection, that Jesus went to the cross to defeat death for you, to raise you to newness of life. And for you and me this morning, the message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ. The world of striving gone for his children. The world of insecurity gone for his children. The world of rest, peace, joy, courage, life, eternal life is here for his children and you and I are invited to belong to it by grace. That is what Easter is about. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you've done in Jesus. You have defeated death and your new creation begins in us now. You've given us newness of life. You've raised us with Jesus. He is our life. We have the promise of future resurrection and we have the current experience of transformation. And you will complete the work you began in us on the final day when we are given brand new perfect bodies. When we are given a heart that only longs for you and your kingdom, that your will, the way it's done in heaven, will be done in our hearts and will be done in all creation. We ask as we continue to worship and as a moment we come to the Lord's table that you would transform us more and more. In 
Jesus' name.